Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is your host, Tom Salemi. Thank you for joining us for another Tale of Innovation. Today we're meeting with Inotech Pharmaceuticals. You may have uh, seen Inotech at OIS at AAO. Uh, David Southwell gave a great presentation there, an update on the company's line of glaucoma. We sort of expanded on that conversation here today, visiting with the company, not only David Southwell, but very happy to be joined by Chief Scientific Officer Bill McVicker. They gave a little bit of a, a history of the company, uh, an update on uh, Trabodenosin, their their first line, front line treatment for glaucoma uh, that's currently in uh, pivotal phase three. Glaucoma obviously is an area that is desperately in need of new drug treatments, new eye treatments. We're seeing some advances on the MIG space that's uh, that's addressing sort of later stage glaucoma sufferers, but uh, something on the early side certainly is necessary as well. So I hope you'll enjoy this very personal visit with David Southwell and Bill McVicker of Inotech Pharmaceuticals. Hi, welcome to the OIS podcast, David Southwell and Bill McVicker of Inotech. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm the president and CEO, and Bill McVicker here is our chief scientific officer. Great. Hello, Tom. Hello. Thank you for, for taking the time to talk about glaucoma. We're excited uh, to have had, had you at uh, OIS. I know you've, uh, you've presented before, and uh, glaucoma clearly is a, is a huge disease that, uh, that we talk about there, and, and uh, it's been a tricky one. I mean, no, no new drug has been approved for its treatment for close to 20 years, uh, I'm sure, as a drug company, you see that and see a huge opportunity. But is there also uh, a red flag? I know we've, we've talked about this in the past, but what are the unique challenges uh, in glaucoma and why do you feel we're closer to overcoming them? David, maybe you can kick that well, off. Well, this is, yeah, this is David. Um, I think the challenge with, with glaucoma is that, is that first-line therapy is eye drops. And the existing eye drops that have been on the market since the last one, the last mechanism was approved in 1999, is that they've been relatively effective, but they all have a, a number of side effects that are associated with them. So the, the majority of the well, 50% of the market is a prostaglandin um, analogs, and those drugs have a number of side effects, including red eye and and uh, and a reduction in the adipose tissue and darkening of the eyelids. And then the primary second-line therapy is the beta blockers, which have the systemic side effects, and then the alpha agonists and the carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, which have their own. So our approach was very much to, to uh, develop a drug that targeted a natural mechanism with the objective of having both uh, good IOP lowering and working in the back of the eye without um, adding any side effects. One of, the, one of the real issues in glaucoma, and I think what has really been a, a problem for developing drugs, is that the, the, the pathology of glaucoma is associated with the, um, the, disrupt, the disrupted relay in the visual signal to the brain. So it's the gradual destruction of the optic nerve. And um, the primary way that's known to treat that is the reduction of intraocular pressure. But there's a real need for a drug that works both by reducing IOP and by 
uh, potentially protecting the nerves. And companies that have tried to um, develop neuroprotective drugs um, have not seen a great deal of success. So um, our product, Travadenison, uh, works to lower IOP, and it also um, has some uh, it, it also appears to have some effect on the nerves in the back of the eye, and we're, that, that's a lot further out, but we're doing work on that as well. Bill, can you get a bit into how Trabodenison is, is able to, to do that, or at least why you believe it's able to do that and why it's being tested uh, against Yes, Bokong? absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree, I agree with David. We've, we've had, I think in the past, suffered from a number of repurposed systemic drugs for the eye rather than purpose-built drugs to, to treat the, uh, the problem, which is a tough problem in glaucoma. And I think we're making some progress here because we're, we're getting a better understanding of the function of the trabecular meshwork. This obviously is the tissue that David referred to that is uh, responsible for managing the appropriate pressure inside of a, a healthy eye. And out of that is coming some new targets. Uh, for example, uh, TGF-beta and, uh, in our case, uh, adenosine. And uh, adenosine, the, the natural or endogenous uh, molecule, is actually a cytoprotective molecule. So it, it's, it's built to protect the tissues in the body. And uh, the challenge with making adenosine itself a drug has been that it exerts its biological action through a series of subreceptors. Uh, four of them have been described. And so you get a wide range of biology, and it's hard to focus or, or, or become selective and just achieve the biology that you want. The, the second issue with adenosine is that, if you may remember from your, from your high school science, that the ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, is how cells store energy. And so adenosine, the natural molecule put into the bloodstream, has a half-life of about 10 seconds. So what we've been able to do is to take the biology of the adenosine and deconstruct it, if you will. And when I say we, I mean with uh, the help of um, some very good scientists that have, that has uh, published in the literature in the last uh, 15 years, including uh, Ted Acott and Craig Crossan and Mort Sivan and, and Paul Kaufman. And what they've been able to show is that if you isolate the, the one A1 receptor, uh, that adenosine targets and avoid the others, therefore building a selective um, adenosine mimetic, what you can do is lower pressure in the eye. And moreover, from the work of, of uh, Dr. Acott, we've been able to see that what it does, in fact, is it stimulates a natural process that takes place in a healthy trabecular meshwork. That is the production of proteases, and these proteases, specifically MMP2, clean out fluid outflow paths, and then outflow can increase and IOP decreases, but importantly, you get the eye back to functioning the way it did when it was a little younger and healthier. How is the, the drug delivered, and in, in when is it delivered? At what stage of the disease? So our drug is um, an eye drop, so it's delivered much like the prostaglandins and the beta blockers, uh, as an eye drop, we've demonstrated in our phase two studies that we can give it once a day, um, which is important because one of the one of the uh, forms of trabadenosin that we plan to develop is a fixed dose combination with latanoprost, and latanoprost is a once a day drug. So if you're going to co-formulate it, it's important to have another once a day drug. Um, 
So ours is an eye drop. It's a suspension. It's and where uh, it will be administered either with a prostaglandin or, in the case of a fixed dose combination, um, in a combination with a PG. So this is for patients that typically that first present with glaucoma. There are patients that uh, are too severe, really, for, for any eye drops. They have, they have very severe disease, and those are the ones that tend to wind up on a device of some sort, whether it's a shunt or a trabeculectomy or a, a laser treatment. But um, what we're targeting is really first-line therapy. And that was, uh, I was curious about that. We do talk so much about MIGS uh, in, at OIS. And on this podcast, there's a lot of exciting transactions uh, and some clinical success there. Uh, but this is, uh, you don't see that as a, as a competitor. This is more or less a, a complementary technology or, or treatment. Well, I think it's a progressive. Uh, it's a pro the treatment of glaucoma is progressive. So when you present with glaucoma, you're first put on an eye drop, which doesn't require any invasive surgery at all. You just take the eye drop. And um, typically the first drug that's given now is latanoprost. We're going to offer another option for those patients, either to be given as first-line therapy or second-line therapy. Um, the, the shunts, the trabeculectomies, those won't typically be uh, for their surgical alternatives that are expensive as well as, as being surgical. So typically those are, those are second and third line therapies. So those will be on people who, uh, for whatever reason, find that their IOP is not adequately controlled with, a, with any eye drop. Does the success of MIGS, though, does it influence or, or shape or reshape the, the, the market for uh, therapeutics in glaucoma? Well, what it does is it raises what, what we like about, about MIGS is that they raise the profile of glaucoma treatments. And um, so, you know, from that perspective, it's, uh, you know, they're a good thing. But we, we will not be competing against that market. We will compete against other eye drops. Yeah, uh, I think when we think about the MIGS as a, an alternative, it seems more uh, likely positioned to cannibalize some of the other surgeries like the ALTs and SLTs, the, the laser uh, trabeculectomies. Um, and, uh, and remember that these devices are typically, at, at least for now, um, only installed in a patient that's already undergoing a cataract operation that also is at risk of glaucoma or has uh, developed a high intraocular pressure. So that you know, some, somewhat limits the patient population for now. And I think the, if the data that um, I've seen is, is correct, that the concern is about the duration of the effect of those treatments. So David is incorrect in that they are, they're classically, at least at this point, still reserved for those patients that have failed multiple uh, glaucoma drugs. So a, a sort of competing in a different part of the population, the, the end-stage patient. We'll take a quick break right here to remind you that if you missed Inatech's presentation at OIS, perhaps you were networking in the hallway, you'll be able to see every presentation that we've had at OIS, as well as our panel discussions and our uh, presentations at ois.net. So go to ois.net for a complete inventory of uh, presentations and discussions coming from OIS at AAO. Now back to this conversation. 
And while we're talking about successful uh, clinical trials, uh, InnoTech had some uh, great news of late uh, regarding your uh, Matrix One trial. Uh, Bill, can you uh, fill us in on that? Absolutely. Um, we were able to report uh, this summer that we reached agreement with the FDA at our end of phase two meeting on the final design and endpoints of that study and, uh, and then have very recently announced its uh, initiation, so patients are enrolling now. And uh, you'll, you may recall that that study is, uh, is going to have several different doses of travidenicin, which will allow us to sort of further fine-tune and optimize its profile and it'll be, those doses will be compared um, uh, statistically and clinically to placebo, and the trial will have, uh, in, in, uh, in addition to placebo, a timolol control, uh, more or less to validate the sensitivity, of the sensitivity of the patient population. Other than that, it will be a fairly uh, standard phase three program, 12 weeks of, of continuous treatment, the patients that will enroll in there will have glaucoma or ocular hypertension. This is the exact same patient population we used in our uh, successful phase two trial, you know, giving us uh, a, a better degree of confidence about the predictability of the results uh, moving forward. And, and looking at the, the, the trial design, uh, I see you're, you're measuring the patients at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., noon, 4 p.m. on days 14, 28, 42, and 84. How is that done? I'm just curious to the trial design. Do the patients spend the entire day there? Is there a device that they bring home with them to do those measurements? Has has testing IOP become easier and therefore made these sort of clinical trials easier to conduct? Uh, sadly, testing IOP has not gotten that much better. So, in <laughs> fact, what we use is the gold standard, which is which is golden, Goldman aplanometry, and so that has to be done in the clinic. So unfortunately, those folks will have to spend the day uh, uh, to get their serial IOP measurements, and we we uh, use a very rigorous protocol in which the aplanometer is adjusted by one person and, if you will, uh, read by a second masked person that uh, therefore doesn't uh, enter any bias into the reading of the, of the pressure of the eye. Mm -hmm. And we measure it, of course, several times at each of those time points. Fascinating. And looking at the business side of things, uh, let's talk about your financing. How much had you raised privately? And uh, you, you were successful in going public recently. Uh, what made you decide to, uh, to give that a go and, and to, to find your way into the public markets? Well, uh, this is David. Um, Inotech is about 12 years old, and it was working on some very different businesses um, for a lot of that, those 12 years. And so we moved into ophthalmology several years ago with a goal to develop uh, what became Travidenison. And um, the, the, the markets were pretty good late last year, and we wanted to go public to really to fund our Phase 3 program. So m most companies go public as they're heading into Phase 3, uh, to raise the money to do that. So we did an IPO in February, and uh, we actually did the first uh, ever uh, equity and convertible IPO. And we raised about $65 million in that deal, which funded us through our first phase three trial. Uh, and then in July, we announced that uh, we announced our phase three program and how we were doing it. And uh, the market received that very well. Um, our, st our stock actually tripled in one day. And we ended up doing a secondary, which raised um, about $75 million in equity. 
So at this point, we're, we're certainly well-funded uh, to conduct our clinical trials in the monotherapy. And how is life uh, as a public company? Having your stock price triple in one day certainly uh, accounts for a good day, but uh, what are the challenges you're, you're managing now uh, that you, you didn't have to manage uh, as a private company? Of course, dealing with investors would be the primary one, but does it affect your dealings with uh, clinicians, patients, employees? Uh, how is managing the entire company different? Well, it's interesting. When you have a public company, um, your stock trades every day, so people can see see how you're doing. Um, you know that you have access to capital, so in many ways it's much easier for an employee um, to be working for a public company because they know that you have uh, you you know that you have access to capital. From a cl- clinician perspective, uh, they also know that we can fund our our phase three clinical trials, mm-hmm. which is very important. They don't want to start a trial with a company that, you know, may not be able to fund it. Um, the challenges, and, and I've spent most of my life in uh, public companies, um, but the challenges, of course, in dealing with investors, and, and uh, that's why we hired Claudine Prouse, who's our, um, uh, who runs our investor relations effort, and she came to us through Biogen. So, and Claudine and I worked together back at Human Genome Sciences. One of the keys with Inotech um, on the inside of it is that many of us have worked together before. So our chief scientific officer, Bill, and uh, our chief medical officer have worked together for, you know, well over 20 years. And I worked with them at Sepracor, um, which was two companies ago in my iteration. So we knew each other very well when we started working together. And Claudine and I worked together at um, Human Genome Sciences. So we're a company that has worked together for a long time, and that makes that really makes a difference because you can hit the ground running, and we know how another person's going to react to what we do, and it it it, it makes things much easier. That's fantastic, and I, and I worked for the Boston Business Journal for a time, and I covered all of those companies, so it's great to hear those yeah. those names again. It was like a walk down memory lane. Well, we're we're very well. It's interesting. I mean, you you, you go up and down, and and uh, you know the the process of working together. During, during the ups and downs of biotech swings certainly bring, either brings you closer together or makes you determined not to work together ever again. <laughs> and obviously, we were the former. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news for everyone in Enotech. And, I, and uh, we're very happy to have you as part of OIS, and I, and I thank you very much for taking time for this podcast today. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, David Southwell and Bill McVicker for joining us on the OIS podcast. Happy to hear the progress Inotech is making. Glaucoma clearly needs new first-line therapies, so we'll continue to follow your story at future OISs. And, of course, you're always welcome back here on the OIS podcast. Speaking of the OIS podcast, this is the last podcast of 2015. I really have enjoyed uh, this format, this way, this forum of bringing you the tales of innovation in ophthalmology. I've talked to some really impressive and astounding uh, entrepreneurs, investors, and executives in this space. Uh, It's been a wild ride and one I can't wait to continue in 2016. If you want to join us here on the program, email me at tom at healthegy.com. That's tom at healthegy.com. Tell us uh, a bit about yourselves and uh, we'd love to have you on the podcast so you can share the story with our listeners. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. 
and we'll see you in 2016. Thanks very much for listening.